You're listening to Ask the Expert on Sprott Money News. Welcome back to the Sprott Money News Ask the Expert segment for March 2021. I'm your host, Craig Hemke, and joining us this month is a brand new guest for the Ask the Expert series. His name is Tavi Costa. You may follow Tavi on Twitter. You may have seen him in financial media, and it's great to welcome him. He's a partner and portfolio manager at Crescat Capital in Denver. He built Crescat's macro model that identifies the current stage of the U.S. economic cycle through a combination of 16 factors. He's been featured in all sorts of financial publications like Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, Financial Post, Reuters. He's been on Real Vision. And uh, it's been a pleasure for me to get to know him over the past few months because he knows his stuff. Tavi, thank you so much for joining me at Sprott Ask the Expert. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. I am too. And if uh, anybody that's not familiar with this format, we do this once a month. We bring in an expert. We collect questions from Sprott Money customers and anybody that uh, emails them to us at the email address submissions at SprottMoney.com. And then I lay them on the guest. If you enjoy these segments, if you enjoy the weekly wrap-up segments, please be sure to like, share, even subscribe to the channel you're listening to. And one more thing, as Tavi and I record this here on St. Patrick's Day, uh, there's just a couple days left in the Sprott Signature Sale. We've got over 15 gold, silver, and platinum products at special prices through March the 20th. You can check out all of our products at SprottMoney.com, but if you want to pick up the phone and talk to a real person, that's just 888-861-0775. All right, Tavi, it's time to get at it. Like I said, I got seven questions for you. If, if you're ready, I'll hit you with question number one. Let's do it. I'm ready. On that uh, Twitter account, and I might have you hit everybody with your Twitter email address as we get started. If, on your Twitter account, I notice lots of great information. And one of the debates that is often found uh, on Twitter is whether we have inflation coming over the horizon or deflation coming over the, the horizon. Where do you stand on that argument? I'm much more to, uh, to the inflation side of things. That, but, and I do believe uh, that we have today two diverging school of thoughts that I think that have never been so prevalent in the markets today. One is calling for this sort of historic reflationary setup. Uh, they like to say the Roaring Twenties. Um, and the other one really is that worries more about the greater liquidity crisis that we may face. And both narratives have, have valid points, but flaws of their own. Uh, but, but we find ourselves sort of in between more to the left, more, more thinking on an inflationary one. So I think that the bullish one, what fails to understand is that we are not at the bottom of the business cycle, in our view, at least. And you know, the population is receiving the largest... Uh, transfer of wealth from the government. And, and so it really what's going on is, is, is we're removing the population in the U.S. is, is going through a deleveraging process, uh, but it's not fixing the problem. It's only trans, uh, transferring the problem from the people, from households to, uh, to the government in general. And so, you know, I think uh, the stage here is, you know, for what we saw, you know, long years of economic prosperity, um, you know, in, in the 20s or so, first we saw a financial reset. Um, and I think that's what we're going through here. Um, you know, in the deflationary side of things, you know, you have uh, those who remain really worry about the output gap uh, becoming a bigger and bigger problem. And so um, we are not, you know, we think the deflation, the deflationary risk uh, of a bust or anything of, of the sort 
it, it really is if, if you believe that policymakers will undershoot their stimulus package. I think it's quite the opposite. I think they're going to overshoot. In fact, that's what, exactly what Janet Yellen has been saying uh, and any other uh, policymaker such as Jay Powell, uh, not worry about inflation, instead doing quite the opposite. So the difference between what we're seeing and the combination of fiscal and monetary stimulus versus what we saw in 08 and even 2000 during those uh, uh, downturns in the economy is very, very different. And so this pent-up demand, I'm not really buying into that idea either from the roaring 20s. As I said, I think there is a pent-up demand, but there's not what's going to really fix uh, uh, the economy. It's just transferring the problem from the household's uh, to then uh, what we're seeing right now uh, in in the uh, in, in in the government side, so deficits are here to stay. Monetary stimulus uh, becoming more and more of a funding tool uh, going forward, and so we believe the inflationary thesis is going to be heating up. All right, I think that's a great segue to the second question. Uh, we're getting that latest round of stimulus checks going out from the U.S. government. Um, we'll see if that's the last one. Probably not, as you said, uh, but as these hit. What do you expect the impact will be on the U.S. economy and the markets? Look, I think it's very inflationary. Back in 08, when we saw fiscal stimulus rising significantly, um, that, is not, that did not translate into an increase in net worth of, of especially the bottom 50%, which I think it's what really, really drives inflation at the end of the day. And the reason why we see this in emerging markets uh, being a much bigger problem than in developed economies uh, unfortunately, given the fact that the bottom 50% is not as financially savvy. And so the bottom 50% in those places is much greater. Inequality issues are much greater than in developed economies. That is not to say we don't have the same issues here in the US, Europe, and other places. Um, and so what's happening was that back in 08, we saw uh, a transfer, you know, somewhat of a, a trial of the transfer of wealth from the government to uh, to the people, but that didn't really succeed. And so the net worth of the bottom 50% declined close to 84% back then. And so obviously we saw, you know, those deflationary forces at the time uh, that didn't really, you know, the, the whole money printing situation didn't really lead to the sort of inflation that we expected. Again, uh, comparing to emerging markets type of inflation. We saw prices going up, inflation in assets and asset prices in general. Um, so I think this time around, we're seeing the quite opposite. We saw the largest increase in net worth of the bottom 50% we've seen in history in the middle of a recession that looks a lot like a depression. And so that adds to the reflationary or as you say, inflationary part of it. But the second part that really adds to the table here is, is the commodity uh, supply constraints that we see that is very similar to what we saw after the pandemic situation in 1919. And so when you add that to the table, it's hard to see uh, an economy the way we're running things in terms of the politics. Uh, we, we have the politics in place to run helicopter money policies for much longer. Um, and so it's, it's hard to see uh, any type of policy that goes against removing or it goes forward in removing, trying to remove uh, this stimulus uh, checks that we're seeing. I think it's here to stay for the longer what is actually going to translate, as we all know, the Federal Reserve cannot continue to be the only buyer of treasuries in, 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 the, next, uh, in the next few months. And so, and so what we're going to see probably will be taxes going up significantly from here. And that's what we see usually when we have those large increases of debt in the government side. 
And so now be prepared for that. The taxpayer is the one that's going to pay for this, like it or not. And so, you know, this is just part of the game. But yeah, I think stimulus checks are, are here to stay um, for longer. And it's a huge part of this inflationary thesis that we did not see back in 08, by the way. All right. Question three is someone who obviously knows your background. Uh, and it's a question about the Brazilian economy. What are your current views on the Brazilian economy? The Brazilian real, I think, is the currency, right? Yes. And the uh-huh. Brazilian mining sector. Those, those are good questions. Uh, yes. I, w- what's going on with Brazil is is also on the side of the monetary policy. So Brazil experienced a lot of inflation back in the 90s uh, through a mon- lot of money printing. Um, and so they are trying to shift a little bit and, and work more towards fiscal stimulus being a much larger uh, part of the of, of the stimulative package versus the monetary side of things, even though they're keeping interest rates today uh, below inflation rate in a huge way. So today we have negative real rates in Brazil that are actually worse than what we see in places like uh, Switzerland and, and the US and so forth. So I, I believe that the, the Brazilian real is in big, big trouble. And so when you ask the question about how do we protect if you are a Brazilian, well, tangible assets is one of the, the ways you could do. But mining is, is a very uh, a great way to be protecting against, against those things, especially if you find businesses that have their, uh, their, their costs and, uh, and so forth uh, related to the local currency. So we believe the Brazilian real is, is going to be devaluing significantly relative to the dollar going forward. I can certainly see a handle close to seven. On, on the dollar relative to Brazilian real, um, which is today about 5.6, 5.7, depending on the day here. Um, and so, you no, know, the, the the situation in politics in Brazil has always been a problem. It's always been something a, a little bit more volatile than other places. It's the nature of, of any emerging market. Um, and so I think uh, I think the real is, is is ripe for some major devaluation going forward, um, as we've had in the last 10 years, just to put into perspective, the last 10 years, eight of the 10, uh, the Brazilian real devalue against the dollar uh, for a full year. And so I believe strongly that, you know, by being long Brazilian real, you're really fighting, fighting against history. And so Brazil, Brazil is really indebted today and the government side of things. Now, running a, such a extreme monetary policy, I see that as a, as a major problem. From the geological side of things, we see a lot of very interesting trends um, and, and, and something we are uh, very we've, have a very high conviction in terms of uh, a region and district that we would like to be in districts that we would like to be uh, exposed to on the mining side. So we have a few um, uh, a few names that we own uh, a significant uh, uh, stake in those companies in areas such as the western parts of uh, of, of Brazil, north northern western part of Brazil. Uh, we're really we're really bullish in those in those regions. Um, and we own a significant portion of that in our portfolio today. And they can find out more of that, I'm sure, by visiting Crestcat Capital, maybe becoming a client. Yes, absolutely. We can certainly uh, share all those names. Uh, you know, Altamira would be one. Uh, Cabral would be another one. We have others uh, that we uh, that we really like that we're closing deals uh, recently uh, in the following uh, uh, in the following months here as well. Tremendous. All right, let's move on to question four. Um, you mentioned how you're leaning on the side of inflation in that inflation deflation argument. I've also seen on Twitter and we've discussed in the past that you think we're right at the beginning of a new bull market in commodities. Uh, the question that came in is, was if that's the case, how do you, how does someone measure and forecast a bull market in commodities? Oh, there's never an easy way, but I think it all starts with the, 
the, the, the scenario that we have where it's hard to find assets that yield more than inflation. And so you, know, you look at especially corporate bond yields yielding less than inflation expectation. If it's you know, stocks uh, that yield also on the earnings or dividend side of things, less than inflation expectation too. treasuries, uh, you know, sovereign bonds yielding almost nothing. Uh, if not negative on the nominal terms. And so uh, it's, you know, it's forcing investors to be looking for tangible assets or forcing investors to look for any asset that will appreciate in price. And when you look at across all asset classes today, uh, commodities is the one that is really cheap uh, relative to where it was historically. At the same time, we're seeing those constraints of underinvestments in the space uh, for a long time. And, and that's, that's just adding to the table here, you know, CapEx of a lot of, uh, a lot of commodity related companies have been falling re, uh, for, for a significant amount. You know, we're seeing geological issues of, of finding commodities in general, especially in the precious metals and base metal space. And so, um, you know, with that in, in mind, I think, I think we're due for a, a very, a very uh, super, uh, I guess, a super cycle in commodities. When you look at commodities uh, priced uh, adjusted for inflation, it's still at the bottom of, uh, of, of where we were back in, in the worst part of the Great, the great Recession in 08. So we're really cheap levels that we did see uh, sort of uh, commodities uh, rising recently uh, since elections. And, and that, that's certainly, uh, uh, I guess, reassuring part of that thesis or validating part of that thesis. But I think we're a long ways from done here. Sure, we're going to have some hiccups on the way. Uh, but I think commodities are are, are going to be running significantly higher, and that for any investor will change how you think about uh, the macro landscape, how you think about cost of capital. Now, cost of capital may be going higher, profitability may start mattering uh, a lot more than it used to in the past, uh, at least the past decades or so. And so, uh, you know, that will change how we select and and uh, and pick uh, investments in general. At the same time, as you have this risk parity problem. Uh, where a lot of large funds and large capital allocators have been having issues with uh, equities and bonds being record overvalued for the first time in uh, in tandem. Uh, not even in 2000, we saw equity markets very expensive, but corporate bonds are not as expensive as they are today. So having all the that uh, in mind, I think the flows opportunity of capital towards commodities is extremely high. And that's one of the reasons why we feel so confident uh, in this in this uh, long-term thesis. All right, my friend, With uh, that's a good segue into question number five, Kavi. And this one is just um, I think this is interesting as well, because we always talk about the precious metals, gold and silver. But outside of those, given that commodity thesis, what's your favorite metal for investment? Uh, uranium, uh, platinum, palladium, copper? Which one do you like the best? Um, I think I think uh, outside of uh, precious metals, obviously, silver would be my pick. But outside of that, um, I would probably pick nickel. I think um, I think there are a lot of lots of opportunities that we're finding in the exploration side of things in that uh, in that part of the commodity um, asset class. Um, you know, certainly there are things going on in, in copper too uh, that we like. Um, I think all you know base metals are are look very interesting. Even though I think precious metals, given its monetary aspect, look a lot more interesting. Um, I like silver a lot. Um, I think silver is is poised to move significantly higher. It's my favorite commodity. Uh, but um, you asked me, um, you know, uranium looks also interesting. There's some political, uh, you know, uh, parts of it that makes it a little bit more challenging. But I do think that it's kind of inevitable uh, that we're going towards that in terms of energy developments. 
Um, and so, um, and I used to be, well, really the beginning of the year, um, not sure if I said that in your last, uh, your other podcasts, Craig, but I, I really liked, uh, oil. I think oil is, is going, uh, above a hundred dollars a barrel, uh, you know, in, in the following one or two years. And so I think that's going to also add to the inflationary thesis. Uh, but you asked me more asymmetric opportunities. I mean, platinum and, and nickel looks really, really interesting to me. Uh, we've been in it's tough to find nickel is a little easier to find more pure plays in terms of exploration and development of, uh, of companies uh, in, the, in the space. Uh, platinum a little bit more difficult usually uh, comes in as a, uh, as, as, as a secondary uh, uh, product of, uh, of a lot of what we end up finding in terms of minerals. Uh, but, but it's, uh, you know, we're very bullish in those. And uh, we think that the, the screen agenda is real and we're certainly moving towards that. Uh, and in order for, for you to go from the old economy to the new economy, you need commodities. And that, uh, I always say that that has been a highway from the old to the new economy that has been cheap. And I think that that highway is about to get a lot more expensive with prices going higher and will also have an impact on those uh, and, and that evolvement of, uh, of, 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 of new innovations and so forth. All right, Tavi, for our final two questions, we're going to kind of draw on your expertise uh, in the money management business. The first one deals with, you know, this is something that's been driving me crazy and almost all mining share investors crazy for the last six or seven months. Uh, these miners, are, especially producers, are throwing off all this major cash flow they're lean and mean, they're increasing dividends, share buybacks, and nobody cares. <laughs> we keep waiting yeah. for the big institutional money to flow into the sector. Uh, what's it going to take, Tavi? When might that start? Look, I actually hope it's a gradual move, not, not all, all of a sudden. And I, I think, you know, initially when we saw the silver squeeze, even though I love the idea, I love uh, what they're uh, asking for here um, and uh, fighting for it's unfortunately, I, I, you know, as you're building a business to the long term, you really expect that this would be sort of a gradual move. And a gradual move is as as we start seeing the fundamentals of those companies look a lot more like growth stocks ra- rather than uh, just you know uh, perhaps a value trap, which a lot of people actually fall into that category of thinking. Uh, where I completely disagree. But now, what we're seeing is that, uh, you know, if you look at the free cash flow yield for the miners, uh, they're now beginning to look more attractive on the value side of things versus uh, tech stocks. And so um, when you start seeing those value metrics beginning to uh, appear in a lot of, uh, you know, we're seeing value, uh, even value screens showing up with miners now, um, and that those are all very interesting uh, things. And Look, I, I think if we're going to see, you know, silver back to, let's say, $50 an ounce or, you know, gold to uh, 3000 or so dollars an ounce as well, uh, you know, how much is, uh, you know, each of those companies in, in the whole space going to be worth? I mean, today we have, you know, they're probably worth precious metals. Uh, industry is worth about $600 billion on the public side of things, which is most of the, the companies that, that we look at. $600 billion. And, you you know, when you look at Apple's market cap, I mean, it's about four times the size of the entire industry. So, you know, we think that there's a ton of, of asymmetry here um, to continue to belong that name. But do I know the answer of when that's going to be, that's going to happen? You know, I, I don't know. Usually those are, you know, weird triggers. It could be the yield curve control, um, you know, uh, sort of news that could shift uh, uh, towards uh, inflows in, in this industry. Certainly what we saw is the skepticism. It's, uh, it's been something that has been really, really hurt in this, uh, this whole mining space. 
and I completely disagree. I think people have been uh, really um, not doing their homework and uh, looking more in depth on what's happening. Like you just mentioned, the, the, they're not issuing uh, a lot of issuing a lot of equities. They're actually buying back stocks for the yeah. first time we've seen in a real long time. They're paying down dividends. Uh, they're paying down debt. We just saw the largest repayment of that. Uh, in history, in a quarterly basis, not what we saw in, in 2011, where they're leveraging up. So n- not a lot of people are doing their homework. And that's usual. We've seen this before. I don't know the answer, but I'm going to guess that that's the whole reason why we're invested here for the next three to five to even 10 years, depending on what the length of this uh, this possible secular bull market and gold that we believe we're in. All right. One last question, Tavi. And uh, again, this is for folks that are doing their homework on their own, trying to figure out, you know, they like the sector, they like where prices are headed, but they, you know, you got to do your own homework. So in valuating juniors and explorers, what do you think are the most important factors uh, to assess before you dive in? Um, I think it has a lot to do, you know, the, the, the general things that a lot of people like to say are, are actually true, right? You're always looking for a safe jurisdiction in a place where, but it really starts with, with the, uh, you know, being economically viable, really understanding if that deposit can actually turn into a, a, a mine that can be a profitable one day. Um, and I think a lot of investors tend to look at, uh, you know, large deposits rather than seeing if they're economically viable uh, and understanding the district of, of, of that region in general. Can we, you know, can we really uh, make something happen uh, with the, the surroundings of that, of that deposit, of that project that is that is happening in a certain areas so at Crescat, what we do is we we kind of uh, look for those regions you know so certainly uh golden triangle has been a large focus of ours newfoundland has been another one nevada um you know brazil those parts of brazil we refer to even parts of bolivia and when you find places like bolivia that are not as safe you want to make sure that the deposit is is really not being priced in in the stock so the valuation makes sense uh, now, the success rate of, of drilling results is another thing. So, you know, having a strong team, which is hard to quantify, is, is a very important part of it. So understanding the success rate of those drill results, if they're really being driven by, you can't really lie with the numbers. And so, you know, if you're seeing, you know, a, a 10,000 meter uh, drill program, you know, what, what type of drill results have we gotten so far? You know, the history of that of that uh, of that management team uh, in delivering value is is I think a very important part of it, and so you know that's uh, that's really how we, we we try to focus is 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 kind of a mix of being starts with economically viable. Are they economically viable? Yes. Okay. Well, is you know what region is this, and uh, uh, is it priced accordingly with the the you know the jurisdiction uh, um, uh, level of safety. Uh, and so, you know, you move forward from there and then really understand the team. You know, it's not about buying a great asset. You know, it's about it's really about uh, being able to unlock value with a, with a great management team that can actually deliver the, the success. I know those are not it's not an easy answer. And it, unfortunately, we spend a lot of time, uh, you know, looking at you know, 95 percent of the projects that we look at are really not worth our investment. I wouldn't say they're garbage, but they're just not worth our investment for some reason, either from the management side of things 
or from the economic side of things, um, you know, just does not look attractive to us. Um, and so, you know, those are the, the, the bigger, the bigger things that I you know management team is a huge part of, uh, of, of, of being successful, I think in this, in this industry and, and being able to bring experts in our case is, is trying to be an activist and allowing the company to actually be open-minded to allow us to, uh, to help them to succeed. And, and the other part is telling the story, right? Those companies that, that are able to also tell the story. So, it's crazy because there's so much speculation in this part of the industry exploration uh, that unfortunately there's not, or, or fortunately, there's not a smart money coming in in a big way. So it creates those very mispriced opportunities for anybody like a fund like ours really going in uh, and, and trying to, with the mindset of really building a whole business, I think there's a lot of opportunities. And so you know, the, the goal really is to have 50, 60, 70 good names that you find uh, and, and really try to help them to succeed in going forward. But uh, that would be my best way to answer that question, Craig. Tavi, before we go, hit everybody with that uh, Twitter handle of oh. yours so they can follow you. Thanks. Uh, yeah, at Tavi Costa would be my, my handle on Twitter. Um, and I try to post things almost daily with her macro views and uh, anything that has been in my mind. And as I said, you're a great follow on Twitter. And the charts you share from Crescat are always very informative as well. So please, everybody, check that out. Please also be sure to like, share, or subscribe to whichever channel you follow the Sprott content on. It really helps us to get the word out. And of course, one last thing, if you're in the market for any kind of physical precious metal or you need to store that metal, please go to SprottMoney.com. And you'll learn a lot more there. You can also just pick up the phone. Give us a call, 888-861-0775. Again, I want to thank Tavi Costa of Crescat Capital for being our guest this month for Ask the Expert. It's been a great call, full of great information. Tavi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Craig, for having me. I I really look forward to this conversation. It was great. And from all of us at Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com, thank you for listening. We look forward to another Ask the Expert segment next month.